All right. So uh, I'll make a few comments on the Torah portion, Vayishlach. And uh, and then basically, I need I need the framework and the background for how the uh, Mahaf Torah, which is assigned um, with with a few con- with some pretty obvious connections, um, how they actually uh, either goes together or goes off on a tangent, but the prophet still speaks a- anyway. So Vayishlach means and and he sent, and it's the the portion that uh, covers Genesis thirty two to um, to thirty six. And uh, so what's actually happened is uh, Jacob has done all his business with um, Laban and has begun his journey back to the Holy Land. And uh, he's now wealthy. He's now very much encumbered by, by ladies and children. And, um, and, uh, and we'll see whether he has actually improved within his own personal character. Because when he started his adventure, he was a little bit of a mummy's boy, right? Uh, Mama seemed to sort of codgel him and uh, sort of helped him usurp his brother's birthright. There was a lot of deception early on. And then Medar, Kenegad Medar, measure for measure, he gets deceived outside the land. So he gets he he receives what he dealt you know now we sometimes call that karma we kind of call that all kinds of different things you know what goes around comes around all kinds of uh euphemisms but uh, in hebrew they already have that mechanism in place measure for measure the way you deal is is what you get and uh and in and in the biblical tradition exegetical tradition that almost goes through with everything the way I deal with you is the way God's going to deal with me. The way I forgive you is the way I, you, is God's going to forgive me. And, and that's clear in the teachings of Jesus. So it shouldn't be something that A, we reject or get scared of. Actually, it is something we should confront and own. And, uh, and Jacob has to do all of that. And uh, so here he is. He's ready to, to enter back into the Holy Land. Um, not that he considers it the Holy Land, but it's definitely the land of his birth and the land of his forefathers. And most likely, he has been brought up by Isaac saying, this is actually the land of promise. So you really should be coming back anyway. So it's not like, he, I mean, he think about it. He could have stayed in Haran. I mean, if, 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 if Isaac hadn't told him, Canaan's the Holy Land and you need to come back, why would he come back? He's got chunks of wives. He's got a big thriving business. He's doing incredibly well. Why leave? You know, this is like, um, you know, living in Vegas, you know, and you're in a really, you know, five-star hotel and uh, you, you you earn a million dollars every day. Why leave? Right? So, but he, he knows there's something that he's got to come back to. So he's on his way. But on his way, he hears that his dear brother, whom he probably hasn't been pen pals recently, uh, is coming out to meet him. And so the text begins by saying, Vayishlach Yaakov, and he sent Malachim, messengers, uh, to go and talk to, to Esau, to find out the intentions of his dear brother. Of course, the Hebrew, Malachim, which means messengers, 
what can it also mean? Angels. And, uh, and because there's, that's literally what it can mean, there is actually one form of exegetical tradition that says that somehow Jacob, being so holy and one of the great patriarchs, sent some angels to go and spy out uh, uh, um, Esau. And we might initially think, wow, what kind of crazy rabbis you know, are coming up with this rubbish? Um, humans controlling angels? Where have we heard that theology before? It's in the New Testament, right? We will judge angels. We will rule angels. Angels work with us. We actually pray for people. Lord, send an angel to guard this person, protect this person, be with this person. Now, we acknowledge all of that, and all of a sudden, when we hear, you mean Jacob sent some angels? Nah, that couldn't have happened. We sometimes forget the very traditions we ourselves apply to the New Testament. So we shouldn't be scared or nervous that uh, some, some, some Jewish commentators think, wow, um, Malachim, that actually means angels, brothers and sisters. Literally, that's what it says, so that's what it means. Uh, um, now, do I agree with it? Uh, doesn't matter. But the point is, is that it's that that same thinking in theology is also there in the New Testament. So Jacob sends somebody to go and talk to his to his brother, suss him, to suss him out. And uh, they come back and they say, well, you know, <laughs> he's coming with 400 soldiers. So the initial report doesn't seem so so positive. And um, and 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 what does he do? Well, in verse 7, it says, Jacob was greatly afraid. One of our things about our hero is he's always afraid. You know, Jacob is, every time you read the word Jacob, just about the next sentence says, oh, and he was afraid. Okay. Uh, now, if you're English, um, that actually is normal because every time you say anything in English, you usually say, uh, I'm afraid, this, that, and the other. It's, it's an English saying. Okay. It doesn't mean you're actually really afraid. Right? But but Jacob here is always fearful. He's always full of fear. And um, and yet, when you go into the Psalms, God often calls himself the God of Jacob. And you go, wow, why would you call yourself the God of Jacob? You um, couldn't have chosen a better motif? How about the uh, God of Abraham or the God of David, you know? Solomon, you know, some wise dude. You know, why, why this character? Why do you identify with a deceiver, a coward? You know, he's always on the run. Um, he can't seem to control his family, right? He gets tricked into into marrying different people. I mean, this is not a, a, a hero. This this guy is not um, from Mission Impossible. Okay, he's not Ethan. This 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 guy's got got some got some issues, uh, but God says, "I'm the God of Jacob," and that actually identifies some part of God's character. God, the King of the Universe, delights to identify with weakness. Now, isn't that a very nice thought? that God chooses to identify with our weakness. And in our weakness, he is strong. So he could have chosen a strong character to call his name by, but he chooses this one, Jacob, 
who is going to change his name, by the way, in this Torah portion. But uh, And he's always constantly saying, don't be afraid, be strong. So God doesn't want to leave us in fear, but he does um, delight to be present uh, within our weakness and reveal his strength. So Jacob does some interesting things. He, uh, When he hears that, the, that his brother's coming, he prays. He um, asks for peace by sending out gifts and things like that, and he prepares for war, prepares his soldiers. And so in, in Jewish tradition, these are the things that you are meant to do. Okay, when you, before you, when you have an enemy, pray, prepare for war, ask for peace, and send gifts. Those are your your three three rules which they which they get from here and and Esau is the character that uh, he goes up against which is his brother now we often gloss over the background to Esau because we sometimes just read the text literally and you know, sort of forget so what has Esau been doing well the text doesn't say what Esau's been doing now. Who's Esau's father? Isaac. Right? And Isaac loved Esau. Right? Remember, Rachel, uh, uh, sorry, Rebecca prefers prefers Jacob, and um, and and Isaac preferred uh, Esau. So if Isaac is a believer in God, and God has spoken to him and given him kinds of promises, now Jacob's run away and has spent you know, 14 years outside what has Isaac been doing with with Esau do you think probably teaching him the Bible okay not that we have a Bible but um, my guess is is that Esau's actually a God-fearer okay he's not a pagan he's not he's not worshiping the sun the moon and the stars there's no way Isaac would allow his son to do that. Okay, you wouldn't allow your children to do that. Isaac wouldn't allow his children to do that. So we've got two God fearers here. Okay, these are not, you know, pagan versus Jew. Okay, they're both Jewish. Yes, yes. Okay, they uh, and uh, they're both from the same mother. Okay? We're not talking about two different nations here, and uh, and so th when they meet, they actually reconcile. Right? So we often think of these guys as, you know, Esau and Jacob always clashing. They don't. They're brothers. They're God-fearers. And they, and, they, and they kiss, they hug, they cry, they make it up. Okay? And, uh, and that's actually, um, um, and, and, and in, the, in, in Genesis, in the Torah portion that we've had, Ishmael reconciles with Isaac and Jacob reconciles with Esau. We, you don't need to pick these guys as enemies. We already got one, Amalek. Okay, he's our our big dude. Um, but the the only other part of the the Torah portion that I'd like to, to mention before we go into the Haftarah is the incident uh, with with Dinar. Okay, um, so the the Torah portion, which is normally dealing with our male characters and our and and sort of the lineage of the Messiah, suddenly switches to an account of a, of of the daughter. Okay, we know the only daughter that we've got, the daughter of Leah. Leah, who's had six sons, 
including the, the Judah, okay, the lineage of the Messiah. She's often the forgotten one, okay, but she's actually very, very important. So Dina, whom Je who uh, goes out, went out to see the daughters of the land. Now, when you read the word went out, okay, put your Jewish hats on. What do you think? Or what's the question? Where did she go out from? Right? Did she go out from the house? What other things? Did she go out from protection? Did she go out because the grass was always greener on the other side of the fence and she really didn't like all the dysfunction within the family home and all the tension she was trying to escape? Did something drive her out? The Bible doesn't say. It just says she went out. And so in Jewish exegetical tradition, you can run in all kinds of directions. Okay? You can you can turn around if you want to. You can have a sermon. You can blame dad. Yeah, look, you should have looked after your family and she wouldn't have gone out. Blame the brothers. You should have looked after your sister. She wouldn't have gone out. Blame the girl. You shouldn't have gone out. Okay, you should have stayed in protection. I mean, you, you pick one. There's all kinds of, of ways to look at the text and say, you know, how can we improve our personal family life and, uh, and, 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 and protect ourselves? But here we have Dina who's that's the feminine of Dan, okay, judgment. Uh, and she's going to go out and she, and, and she encounters the um, prince of Shechem, okay, which is usually a horrible city. Just about everything bad happens in Shechem, except there's one positive thing. It's in the book of Judges where uh, after Joshua's smacked all the, uh, the Canaanites from kingdom come uh, and, and, and all the smackings done, uh, he gets the, the children of Israel to come to Shechem and he enters into a covenant and he, he makes a covenant and it's called the covenant of Shechem. And um, it's basically it's where he says, who wants to serve God? Because for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And the rabbis say, this is the best covenant in the entire Bible. Why? Because there's no reward. It's just who wants to follow God? There's no, if you follow God, you get the land. If you follow God, you get an army of angels. If you follow God, you'll get you know, gold dust coming down from heaven. Okay, none of that. It's just who wants to follow God? And people put their hands up and say, we will. And uh, so there's no reward. And yet they still choose to follow God. So people really, that's the uh, the one part of the, the, the city, Shechem, which is very positive. But usually apart from that, it's a basket case of a city. And uh, it's got a prince, and um, he seems to he he violates Dina. The, the, the Bible is full of sometimes got these horrible stories, but he um, he it says his his soul began to be attracted to her, so he realizes he's done something wrong, and he actually goes out to make it right. He wants to marry the girl. Right? And uh, then, and you know the rest of the story. Levi and Simeon trick them into getting circumcised, and and, uh, and then they kill them all. And uh, and this just is a is a mess for Jacob. Poor old Jacob's got a really just dis dysfunctional family. So many parts of that story where you think, wow, why the what, Levi and Simeon? Of course, they wanted to defend their sister's honor. But what was going on is that Shechem, first of all, no one ever asked Dina if she wanted to marry the guy. Have you noticed that? Okay, No one ever said, Dina, there's a prince 
You can marry a prince, okay? You'll be a princess. You know, I really can't get a better better husband for you, okay? I know it's a bit of a mess how this whole thing started, but he really likes you. Um, and not only that, they're going to convert, right? They're going to get circumcised. They're going to join us as a people. Suddenly, the children of Israel doubles in size. Not only that, we got a whole city, right? You know, um, the, 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 the sheer positives on this side would have been really good. Right, reconciliation, wrongs being made right—all so many good parts of the story, but didn't happen. Instead, the, the, they exercise their judgment, which ends up being a very, a very bad thing, and uh, and they uh, they lose their their place in the the order rank. Um, Reuven, in this parasha, then messes with. Uh, um, uh, one of the concubines of of Jacob and loses his place in the lineage, which then means you get to, to son number four, which is Judah, and Judah then produces the Messiah. Right. So this Torah portion is loaded with so much uh, material. Okay, um, missed opportunities. Okay, people who were trying to convert they end up getting killed. Um, and how and how you get to Judah being in the in the line of the Messiah when it probably should have been Reuben in the first place. Okay, uh, so there's a there's a few things few things uh, there. So Jacob and Esau are the main characters that uh, run around this uh, this uh, this Torah portion. Esau's uh, uh, one of his his names is Edom uh, because he was uh, red. Okay, red-haired or red, red-skinned, or however you want to, to think about it. And he also enjoyed um, making game food that that had with red lentils and all those kinds of kinds of things. So he has this um, this his his name Esau and Edom get uh, used synonymously. So their brothers Edom and Jacob, or who later becomes. Uh, uh, Israel, their brothers, right? So we sometimes think that um, uh, that you know this line is Jewish, but Jake Esau is just as Jewish. Okay, uh, same blood. Okay, now Esau is also blessed. He gets to have kings and princes long before uh, Israel does. If you read Genesis thirty-six. I'll just uh, get my little little button here, Genesis 36, 31. We read, now these were the kings who reigned over the land of Edom. So there were kings of Edom. So Esau goes off and forms a kingdom, Edom. And before any king reigned over the, the children of Israel. So God blessed them. They were blessed. They 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 weren't evil. They were probably God fearers that may may have had gone off and become pagans later on. That's probably true, but they started out as God fearers, as part of the tribe, uh, reconciled to to Jacob, and then they sort of move off. Uh, unfortunately, so this then brings us to our Haftarah portion, which they uh, have chosen as Ovadia. Obadiah. 
And uh, Obadiah gets a vision, a chazon. Now, uh, he do it doesn't say Ob Obadiah was filled with the Spirit, and then he began to prophesy, Okay, which is the way we would think about it today. Okay? But the Hebrew Bible says he got a vision. He's a chazon, uh, as, as someone who, gets a, who sees the seer. Um, only two, two prophets in the Bible actually get the Spirit of the Lord God, and that's Elijah and Elisha, and they don't write books. Okay, so so the, the the people who don't get the spirit write lots of books, and the people who do get the spirit write absolutely nothing. Okay, which is uh, rather similar to what Jesus happened to Jesus, right? Full of full of the spirit, didn't write nothing, except maybe the whole Bible if you want to go down that. So he wrote the whole thing. But anyway, Ovadia, which is um, oh by the way, Ovadia, uh, which means servant of God or worshiper of God, same word, uh, Eved. Uh, can also mean worship. The same word for slave or servant also means worship or work, avodah. So Ovadia, the servant of God or the worshiper of God, was actually an Edomite. Okay, he was a convert. He had so the the Edomites had drifted off into paganism of a fashion, but uh, they were also close to being able to come back to the tribe. So something actually happened in his life that he had a revelation of the divine and he became um, Jewish. He converted and he gets a vision. And it doesn't uh, doesn't say who he, who he was or how he got the vision or whether he was used to this, whether this was his profession. We don't have very much background on our little dude. Um, there's actually 13 Obadiahs in scripture. Um and we have no idea which one this is, if it's even in anyone. So um, take your pick, okay? And uh, pretty much scholars do, okay? You pick a pick a commentary, and they'll say it's this guy, uh, and this is the reason why. Um, it to me, it it doesn't really matter. You have the character, you've got his name. It's a it's a it's a great name, and uh, and he has and even though he himself is an Edomite. His vision is going to be against Edom. Now, that's actually rather unique in the prophets. Most of the prophetic voice, which we are listening to in the Haftarah passages and in the, in the sacred history of the kings, speaks with Israel. But all of a sudden, you get this you know, one-chapter little vision against the other guys, even though it could be argued as I already have, that they're very close to the family of God. Um, but let's just say that they've wandered off and they're pagans now and all that kind of stuff, which they have. <clears throat> you now have a, a vision and a prophecy against against uh, uh, almost primarily against another nation. So rather unique in the in the voice of the prophets. So how is this guy speaking to them? Not sure. Okay, maybe being an Edomite, he has the ability to go back to his people and somehow get an audience, and is able to confront them. Uh, either way, God is uh, going to tell Edom what he says, because if God doesn't, what would be the logical 
question, what would be the point of that, right? That's like having VTech over there in check, get a vision from God to tell Aaron something, and then he can't, right? Internet goes down, planes are cancelled. There's no way he can come and talk to me. So your next question is, what the heck are you doing, Lord? You know, surely you would have chosen someone closer, right? So if God is talking to Edom, there must be a way that Avadia had access to them to talk to. Otherwise, there would be no point. Okay, so, so God says, the word of the Lord concerning Edom. <clears throat> We've heard the report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations saying, Arise, let us rise up against her for battle. So there's going to be a judgment, a punishment is coming upon the descendants of Esau. It doesn't say why. Okay. Um, later on, the uh, the text will imply that these guys have been bad, but it doesn't give you the exact reference as to why they've been bad, but they've done something. Okay, they have um somehow <coughs> continued the conflict that uh, that had occurred between their ancestors. Instead of staying reconciled and being friends, because because when Moses was bringing the children of Israel into 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 Canaan, he said, "Don't, don't go to Edom, don't go to Moab. You know, these are these are they've got their territory. That's theirs. I've blessed them. I'm getting them to do stuff." Uh, leave them alone, and it was supposed to be cordial relationships, but something had broken down, and um, and instead, uh, Edom had uh, sided with the bad guys. Now, whether that's Babylon or whether it was a previous um, empire, and had actually joined in uh, the pillaging um, of 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 uh, Jerusalem, and um, and God didn't let that slide. Okay, so it's time to have uh, some judgment. It says, Behold, I'm going to make you small among the nations. Okay, um, how's that one for um, uh, a, a, a punishment? Okay, you know, usually nations like to go big. Usually, not all of them, but most of them like to expand or build big monuments and, 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 and talk about their great histories. So uh, the punishment of a nation is God coming down and saying, I'm going to make you small. All of your pride, all of your history, everything you've ever got is going down. And uh, uh, why? The pride of your heart has deceived you. Okay, And, uh, and that's an interesting little phrase, I think, because um, often you know, pride starts in the heart. That's what you see in the, in the prophetic voice of Isaiah with the, the enemy. Um, uh, we, who we call Lucifer in Latin, Chayil ben Shacha in Hebrew. Uh, uh, Satan, often we give him that uh, name. Uh, pride begins in the heart, and it's always deceptive. That's its uh, greatest, its greatest uh, um, weapon. Is it? Uh, is it? It deceives. It tells us things that aren't true, which we then believe. Uh, Ovadia says to uh, Edom, you who dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, you say in your heart, who's going to bring me down to the ground? Though you ascend as high as the eagles and you set your nest in the stars, I'm going to bring you down. 
Now, interestingly, in archaeology, where did we find Edom? They built their fortresses on top of very, very tall hills and mountains. Has anybody been to Petra? Fair enough, I have. A lot of fun. Um, great archaeological site. Huge, like you need two, three days to actually explore the whole thing. But they actually have some Edomite ruins, and you can, and you to get to them, you have to go up, right? You have to walk up this massive staircase. There is no lift, right? And you cannot pay some donkey to take you up there. Um, uh, you have, which which you can on other parts of the site, but this one you have to physically walk up. And when you finally get up there, there's these nice plateaus, and you see lots of rookeries and, and caves. This is where Edom was living, and. Uh, they, um, which is incredibly strategically wonderful. If you were living on top of that hill, okay, no one's coming to get you. Okay, to come to, to an army couldn't come and attack you. Uh, you could defend it with ten men, right? Um, and so they they had a lot of pride in themselves. Like you can't come and get us because because um, we live we live in these very very defensible um, fortresses, and that's exactly what Ovidar is saying. Is you think you're strong. You think because you're living up there with the eagles, uh, you're safe. Well, you're not. And uh, we're coming. And um, the thieves will come, the robbers by night, and you'll get yourself cut off. Okay. Um, in verse 6, Esau shall be searched out. His hidden treasures will be sought after. All the men in your confederacy shall force you to the border. The men, men at peace with you shall deceive you and prevail against you. And this is often the way evil works. Often evil fights itself. Okay? Um, as they have that expression, there's no honor among thieves. So what's being prophesied here is a nation that considers itself quite strong, has taken the opportunity to do some uh, pillaging of its neighbors, um, joined in with a, a major power, perhaps the Babylonians, um, and then it, while feeling kind of secure, God comes along and says, yeah, all those nations that you think that are your friends, well, actually, they're going to stab you in the back. And, uh, and that's what you often see evil doing. Often evil consumes itself. Uh, verse 8 will I not on that day says Edom even destroy the wise men from Edom uh, and, and understanding from the mountains of Esau so there uh, many of the commentaries would say Edom was known for wisdom um, um, I ha apart from this text this sentence here there's not a lot of proof for that okay? there, there, there doesn't seem to be a, a great library of Edom um, or some sort of uh, um, major technological advantage that these guys seem to have. But they have some sort of wisdom. Now, if you have a, a text that says Edom is wise, where does a rabbi go with that? Where do you think? The Torah. And so um, what they do is they say, wow, look, no. Isaac obviously taught, taught Esau the truth. And Esau was a great thumb. He was a wise man. That's why he definitely reconciled with his brother when he saw him coming back, because that's what wise men do. Right? That's what the, 
the, the people who believe in God, they just know to do that. So there was this, they say there's this tradition of, um, of uh, great sages that that once resided in the lands of the Jordan, right in the in the in the territory of Edom. Um, yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> Why not? Um, but that's where they run with it from this verse. Um, either, either, but the 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 prophecy here is, whatever wisdom you think you've got, okay, it's coming down too. And uh, when we look at our own nations. And we often we often uh, like to revel in how smart we are. Okay, high speed internet, uh, wonderful mobile phones, Siri who can talk to you and order pizza before you even ask for it. You know all this wonderful wisdom, but it just does it just doesn't seem to help us. It doesn't seem to um, make us as wise as we as we think. And uh, uh, and so they we we end up um, that. Uh, uh, we're going to this doom is coming to our, our, our to our friends of Edom, uh, the descendants of of Esau. So instead of reconciling, okay, which is what the the forefathers have done, these guys have not. And there's a prophetic voice that speaks against that. Verse ten: For violence against your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you. So the the reason for Ovadia's uh, proclamation is that somewhere along the line, the, uh, the sibling rivalry has gotten quite violent. And uh, in the actual Torah portion, they were gearing up for war, but they didn't have it. They actually reconciled. Somewhere along the line, Esau, Edom, actually engaged in violence and violent activity against the people of Israel. Interestingly, after Edom is destroyed, well, it's not totally destroyed. <clears throat> what ends up happening is it suffers um, some destruction. The Nabataeans uh, come out of Arabia and begin to migrate um, westward, and they push Edom westward. And so the remnants of Edom end up... Um, Sort of getting very close to southern Judah, and uh, and then and then the Greeks renamed them. Well, not renamed them. They called them a name that's not their original one. Okay, um, instead of Edom, they called them Idumean. And who's our most famous Idumean? I hear you ask, King Herod. King Herod is one of these guys, right? And um, and so, uh, which is interesting because uh, he's often described as not Jewish. But think about it. His great, great, you know, his forefathers, which was Esau, is Jewish. Okay. Then they went kind of weird, but then they, and then they got close to Judah. And then the Maccabees, whom we are about to celebrate on Thursday, Thursday night. Okay. Hanukkah. Good old, um, uh, in in a, around the year 110, um, one of the Maccabean kings by the name of John Hyrcanos um, thought it was a really good idea uh, to forcefully convert all the Idumeans who were living very close to Judah. Okay. So he said, hey, guys, got a really cool idea for you. Now, I know that you used to be Jews, like long, long, long way back. How about you become Jews again uh, or die? There's your options. 
And people thought, well, you know, becoming Jewish sounds pretty good. So the Idumeans were forced converted, and that was King Herod's grandfather. So two generations later, you end up with uh, King Herod, who by this stage is Jewish. Okay, And um, even though people keep saying he's an Edomite, which is also true, but he is actually, actually Jewish by all forms of halakha, uh, he ends up marrying a um, Hasmonean princess. He ends up marrying one of the Maccabees. And so all of his kids you know, are Jewish. You know, it he, he kind of gets interesting when he says, when they ask him, where's the king of the Jews? He's like, hello, you know, um, I'm, 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 I'm supposed to be the king. And, but he wasn't the, uh, the correct one. So uh, the, the sin of, of Edom, all the descendants of Esau, in verse 11, in that day you stood on the other side, in the day that strangers carried captive his forces when the foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, even you were as one of them. So there seems to be this uh, uh, inference that they took part in the pillage of Jerusalem, which is a no-no okay, uh, for God. Uh, uh, in many other parts of the prophetic voice, also described Jerusalem as a cup of trembling. Okay, um, all nations that have sought to ravage Jerusalem, pillage Jerusalem, control Jerusalem, tell Jerusalem what to do, uh, end up um, not doing so well in terms of human history. And instead of learning a lesson, the the nations of the world keep forgetting. Uh, one of the best sermons I ever heard on Romans 9, 10, 11, was by an American who just turned around and said, leave him alone. That was his, that was his message. Okay? He says, just don't mess with these people. You won't like it. Okay? Um, and, uh, and, and unfortunately, from human history, no one has learned. So, and Edom suffered uh, accordingly. So uh, <clears throat> the... They they came against Jerusalem, and now their cities will be will be will be uh, ravaged, measure for measure, or in Hebrew, meda keneged meda, which is what you see in right through the Bible. What you've dished out, Edom, you are going to reap. Now, in in the in the New Testament, we don't always say the words measure for measure. We we we, we say things like. You'll reap what you sow. Okay, which is roughly the same sort of idea. But here, here you get uh, uh, this this idea. Um, you came to destroy Jerusalem, and you're going to get it back. <clears throat> so this is the prophetic voice in the Torah portion. They reconcile. There's the tension that they might fight. There's the tension that the brothers. Will, will clash, but they don't. But then, as you go through history, the nations, which were once very, very close, separate different gods, form, and uh, and instead of learning from your past, um, they tried to dominate Israel. And Ovadia comes along and says, it's not going to work that way, and uh, uh, and, and you'll be destroyed. I just want to finish with um, with the last couple of verses of Ovadia, and uh, which describes um, 
that the the remnant of Israel is going to come back and repossess the the lands that they had uh, that they had lost. So, it descri- in in verses uh, seventeen it describes um, on Mount Zion there will be deliverance. Okay, uh, often in this is this is an Edomite convert who's prophesying that uh, Zion, which is yes a place, absolutely, yes the house of God, absolutely, <clears throat> but also it's also a people. Many times through the prophets and in the Psalms, Israel is a nation, but it's also a land. And those two things can sometimes be in the same verse and, and synonymous. Okay? Those things are paired together. And oh, wouldn't it be nice if the entire nation of the world could just realize that fact, okay? that the Jewish people, Israel, and Israel, the land, are closely linked together. So Mount Zion will be delivered, not just the mountain, but the people of the mount the, who who inhabit the mountain, uh, the people of God. the The house will be once again set free, and there shall be holiness. Okay? Now, what a what a really cool phrase, isn't it? Not there shall be peace, there shall be prosperity, there shall be joy, there will be will be abundance. So you have herds and flocks and cows and pigs and all that kind of stuff. Well, maybe not pigs, but uh, you know other stuff. It's holiness, because that's actually the thing that's been sought after so often by God and by the prophets. I want a holy people. I'm holy. I want you to be holy. The end of the day, once we've got our dysfunctional family all sorted out and our international politics all sorted out, there will be holiness. There'll be this this beautiful uh, uh, activity of engaging in holy activity. And uh, uh, and I think that's actually quite a, a beautiful end way that the prophet would sum up a future hope uh, where he's prophesying with Edom, saying, you know, you think you've, you've, you've done good by coming and, uh, and joining in with the bad guys. It's not going to work out for you. What's actually going to work out is that the people that you've crushed the people that you've destroyed, the people that you've uh, led into captivity, well, they're coming back. And not only they're coming back, they'll be prosperous, yes. They'll be affluent, yes. And they come back and grow in numbers, yes. What's really going to happen is they're going to grow in holiness. And that is a great prophetic voice. Okay? That, I think, is one of the, the, the hallmarks of the prophets, a call and a promise to holiness.